0: Chapter 7 of In the Footprints of the Padres by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Inland Yachting. When your bosom friend seizes you by the arm and says to you in that seductive sotto voce which implies a great deal more than is confessed, Come, let us go down to the sea in ships and do business in the great waters. You generally go if you are not previously engaged at least i do much has been said in disfavor of yachting in san francisco bay it is inland yachting to begin with the shelving shores prevent the introduction of keel boats flat and shallow hulls with a great breadth of beam something able to battle with lumpy seas and carry plenty of sail in rough weather is the more practical and popular type Atlantic yachts, when they arrive in California waters, have their rigging cut down one-third. Schooners and sloops with Bermudian mutton-leg sails flourish. A modification of the English yawl is in vogue, but large sloops are not handled conveniently in the strong currents, the chopped seas, the blustering winds, the summer fogs that make the harbor one of the most treacherous of haunts for yachtsmen think of a race when the wind is blowing from twenty-five to thirty-five miles an hour the surface current at the golden gate runs six miles per hour and the tide rip is often troublesome but there is ample room for sport and very wild sport at times the total area of the bay is four hundred and eighty square miles and there are hundreds of miles of navigable sloughs rivers and creeks one may start from alviso and sail in a general direction almost without turning one hundred and fifty-five miles to sacramento city during the voyage he is pretty sure to encounter all sorts of weather and nearly every sort of climate from the dense and chilly fogs of the lower bay to the semi-tropics of the upper shores where fogs are unknown and where the winds die away on the surface of beautiful waters as blue as the bay of naples there are amateur yachtsmen a noble army of them who charter a craft for a day or two and have more fun in a minute than they can recover from in a month i have sailed with these at the urgent request of one who has led me into temptation more than once but who never deserted me in an evil hour even though he had to drag me out of it by the heels i am at this moment reminded of an episode which still tickles my memory and much as a worthy yachtsman may scorn it i confess that this moment is more to me than that of any dash into deep water which i can at present recall it was a summer saturday the half-holiday that is the reward of a week's hard labour with the wise precaution which is a prominent characteristic of my bosom friend a small body of comrades was gathered together on the end of mygs's wharf simultaneously scanning with vigilant eyes the fleets of sailing-crafts as they swept into view on the strong currents of the bay it was a little company of youths sick of the world and its cares and willing nay eager to embark for other climes they came not unfurnished i beheld with joy numerous demijohns with labels fluttering like ragged cravats from their long necks likewise stacks of vegetables juicy joints fruits and more demijohns together with a small portable iceberg blankets were there also guns pistols and fishing tackle if one chooses to quit this world and its follies one must go suitably provided for the next experience teaches these things The breeze freshened, the crowd grew impatient, more fellows arrived, another demijohn was seen in the distance swiftly bearing down upon us from the upper end of the wharf, and at this moment a dainty yacht skimmed gracefully around the point of Telegraph Hill, picking her way among the thousand masted fleet that whitened the blue surface of the bay, and we at once knew her to be none other than the Lotus, a crack yacht as swift as the wind itself in fifteen minutes there was a locker full of good things and a deck of jolly fellows and when we cast off our bowline and ran up our canvas we were probably the neatest thing on the tide i know that i felt very much like a lay figure in somebody's marine picture and it was quite wonderful to behold how suddenly we all became seaworthy and how hard we tried to prove it a heavy bank of cloud was piled up in the west through which stole long bars of sunshine gilding the leaden waves the lotus bent lovingly to the gale some of us went into the cabin and tried to brace ourselves in comfortable and secure corners item there were no comfortable or secure seats at sea and there will be none until there is a revolution in shipbuilding our yachting afforded us an infinite variety of experience in a very short time we had a taste of the british channel as soon as we were clear of the end of the wharf it was like rounding gibraltar to weather alcatraz and as we skimmed over the smooth flood at raccoon straits i could think of nothing but the little end of the golden horn why not the very name of our yacht was suggestive of the orient the sun was setting the sky deeply flushed the distance highly idealized homeward hastened a couple of italian fishing-boats with their lateen sails looking like triangular slices cut out of the full moon this sort of thing was very soothing we all lighted our cigarettes and lapsed into dreamy silence broken only by the plash of ripples under our bow and the frequent sputter of matches quite necessary to the complete consumption of our tobacco about dusk our rakish cutter drifted into the shelter of the hills along the north shore of the bay and with a chorus of enthusiastic cheers we dropped anchor in two fathoms of soft mud we felt called upon to sing such songs as marines are wont to sing upon the conclusion of a voyage and i believe our deck presented a tableau not less picturesque than that in the last act of black-eyed susan susan alone was wanting to perfect our nautical happiness how charming to pass one's life at sea particularly when it is a calm twilight and the anchor is fast to the bottom the sheltering shores seem to brood over you pathetic voices float out of the remote and deepening shadows and stars twinkle so naturally in both sea and sky that a fellow scarcely knows which end he stands on i have preserved a few leaves from a log written by my bosom friend i present them as he wrote them although he apparently had happy thoughts on the brain and much bernard had well-nigh made him mad the log of the lotus nine p m dinner just over part of our crew desirous of fishing during the night hooks lost lines tangled no bait a row by moonlight proposed ten p m the irrepressibles still eager to fish lines untangled hooks discovered two fellows dispatched with yawl in search of bait a row by moonlight again proposed we take observations no moon eleven p m two fellows returning from shore with hen hen very tough and noisy tough hens not good for bait fishing postponed till daybreak moonlight sail proposed as being a pleasant change still no moon half the crew turn in for a night's nice rest cabin very full of half the crew midnight irrepressibles dance sailor's hornpipe on deck half the crew below awake from slumbers and advise irrepressibles to renew search for bait 12:30 a.m. irrepressibles return to shore for bait loud breathing in cabin water swashing on rocks along the beach very picturesque but no moon yet voice in the distance says hello echo in the other distance replies hello yourself and see how you like it one a m irrepressible still absent on shore a dog barks loudly in the dark a noise is heard in a far-away hen-coop irrepressibles looking diligently for bait one thirty a m dog sitting on the shore howling very heavy breathing in the cabin noise of oars in the rowlocks, music on the water chorus of youthful male voices singing a smuggler's life is a merry merry life subdued noise of hens dogs still howling no moon yet more noise of hens bait rapidly approaching two a m irrepressibles try to roll yawl through stern lights of lotus grand collision of yawl at full speed and a rakish cutter at anchor profane language in the cabin sleepy crew half awake rush up the hatchway and denounce irrepressibles irrepressibles sing smuggler's life etc terrific noise of hens half the crew invite the irrepressibles to be as decent as they can no moon yet everybody packed in the cabin two thirty a m sudden squall lotus as usual bends lovingly to the gale Dramatic youth in his bunk says in deep voice, No sleep till morn. More dramatic youths say, I heard a voice cry, Sleep no more. Very deep voice says, Macbeth have murdered sleep. General confusion in the cabin. Old Commodore of the Lotus says, Gentlemen, a little less noise, if you please. Noise subsides. 3. A.M. Irrepressibles propose sleeping in binnacle unfortunate discovery no binnacle on board half the crew turn over and suggest that the irrepressibles take nightcaps and retire anywhere moved and seconded that the irrepressibles take two nightcaps and retire in a body item two heads better than one two nightcaps ditto ditto 330 a.m commotion in cabin irrepressibles find no place to lay their weary heads moonlight sail proposed observations on deck no moon squall in the distance air very chilly irrepressibles retire in a body and take nightcaps song by irrepressibles a smuggler's life half the crew sit up and throw boots irrepressibles assault half the crew and take bunks by storm great confusion Old commodore of the Lotus says, Gentlemen had better sleep a little so as to be in trim for fishing at daybreak. Nightcaps all round. Order restored. Chorus of subdued voices. A smuggler's life. Four a.m. Signs of daybreak. Thin blue mist over the water. White seabird overhead with bright light on its breast. Flocks bleating on shore. Sloop becalmed under the lee of the land. Fishermen casting nets. More fishermen right under them, casting nets upside down. Everything very fresh and shining. Feel happy. Think we must look like marine picture by somebody. 4.30 a.m. Commodore of the Lotus comes on deck and takes an observation. All favorable. Commodore draws bucket of water out of the sea and makes toilet. White beard of the Commodore waves gently in the breeze. Fine-looking old sea dog, that Commodore of the Lotus. Sunday morning. All quiet. Air very clear and bracing. Sure resembles new world. Feel like Christopher Columbus discovering America. Peaceful and happy emotions. Animate bosom. Think I hear Sabbath bells. Evidently don't. No Sabbath bells anywhere around. Penitentiary of San Quentin in the distance. Look at San Quentin and feel emotion of sadness steal over me. Moral reflection to try and avoid San Quentin as long as possible. 5 a.m. Noise in cabins. Boots flying in the air. Cries for mercy. Reconciliation and eye openers all around. Everybody on deck. Next minute, everybody overboard bathing. Water very cold. Teeth chattering. Something warming necessary for all hands. y'all goes out fishing. Two small boats at the disposal of irrepressibles. A row by sunlight. No moon last night. Funny boy says bringing moon along next time everybody sees san quentin at the same moment half the crew advises irrepressibles to go home at once cries of high eye. Irrepressibles say they will inform on half the crew when they get there disturbance on deck in consequence commodore suggests a new search for bait order restored new search for bait instituted three fellows sing a father come home and look toward san quentin bad jokes on the prison every ten minutes throughout the day small fleet of stern-wheel ducks come alongside for breakfast ducks in great danger of the galley flock of pelicans with tremendous bowsprits fly overhead pistol shot carries away tail feathers of pelican order restored eight a m irrepressibles propose naval engagement three small boats armed and equipped for the fray irrepressibles routed some taken prisoners great excitement quantities of water dashed in all directions boats rapidly filling two fellows overboard cries for help fellows can't swim a stroke intense excitement boat sinks in five feet of water and two feet of mud the fellows brought on board to be wrung out irrepressibles hang everything in the rigging to dry imagination takes her accustomed flight Good study of nude irrepressibles in great number. Think we must resemble the barge of Cleopatra on the Nile. Unlucky thought. No Cleopatra on board. Subject reconsidered. Lucky fancy. The Greek gods on a yachting cruise. Sun very hot. Another bath all round. A drop of something for fear of catching cold. The Greek gods on deck indulge in negro dances. Two men on shore look on and wonder what's up sun intensely hot greek gods turn in for a square sleep it becomes necessary to suppress the bosom friend who it is superfluous to state was one of the leaders of the irrepressibles on the memorable occasion and the balance of his log is consigned to the locker of oblivion the cruise of the lotus had its redeeming features though they were probably unrecorded at the time there was fishing and boating rambles on shore over the grassy hills a search for clams and a good old-fashioned clam bake to which the sharpest appetites did ample justice and there were quiet fellows who stole apart from the rioters and had hours of solid satisfaction you may have rocked in a small skiff yourself casting your line in deep water waiting and watching for the cod to bite it is pleasant sculling up to a distant point and sounding by the way so as to get off the sand and over the pebbly bottom as soon as possible it is pleasant to cast anchor and float a few rods from shore where the rocks are eaten away by the tides of numerous centuries where the swallows build and the goats climb and the scrub oaks look over into the sea with half their hairy roots trailing in the air it is less pleasant to thread your hook with a piece of writhing worm that is full of agonizing expression though head and tail are both missing and writhing on their own hooks which are also attached to your line i wonder if one bit of worm on a hook recognizes a joint of itself on the next hook and says to it in its own peculiar fashion well are you alive yet the baiting accomplished with a great flourish you throw your sinker and see it bury itself in the muddy water then you listen intently for the least suggestion of a disturbance down there at the other end of the line the sinker thumps upon this rock and the next one drops into a hole and gets caught for a moment but is loosened again and then a sort of galvanic shock thrills through your body on guard if you would save your bait another twinge fainter than the first and at last a regular tug and you haul in your line which is jerking incessantly by this time the next moment the hooks come to the surface and on one of them you find a lilliputian fish that is not yet old enough to feed himself and was probably caught by accident perhaps you haul in your line as fast as you can bait it and throw it in again as rapidly as convenient for this is the sport that fishermen love to boast of perhaps you rock in your boat all day and draw but a half-dozen of these shiners out before their time and waste your precious worms to no purpose it's hungry work isn't it and the summons to dinner that is by and by sounded from the yacht is a pleasing excuse for deserting so profitless a task the right thing to do however is to put on an appearance of immense success whenever a rival skiff comes within hail you hold up your largest fish several times in succession, so as to delude the ancient inquirers in the other boat, who will, of course, think you have a dozen of those big cod with a striking family resemblance. It is a very successful ruse. All fishermen indulge in it, and you have as good a right to play the pantomime as they. By and by we are glad to think of a return to town. Why is it that pleasure excursions seem to ravel out? They never stop short after a brilliant achievement, nor conclude with an imposing tableau. They die out gradually. Someone gets out here, someone else falls off there, and there is a general running down of the machinery that has propelled the festival up to the last moment they flatten unmistakably and it is almost a pity that some sort of climax cannot be engaged for each occasion in the midst of which every one should disappear in red fire and a blaze of rockets our yachting cruise was very jolly we hauled in our lines and our anchors and spread our canvas while the wind was brisk and the evening was coming on whitecaps danced and tumbled all over the bay it looked stormy far out in the open sea as we crossed the channel. Thin tongues of fog were lapping among the western hills as though the town were about to be devoured by some ghostly monster, and presently it was, of course. The spray leaped halfway up our jib, and our foresail was dripping wet as we neared the town. There was a rolling up of blankets and a general clearing out of the debris that always accumulates in small quarters everybody was a little tired and a little hungry and a little sleepy and quite glad to get home again and when the lotus landed us on the old wharf at the north end of the town we crept home through the side streets for decency's sake the young corinthian would scorn to recognize a yachting exploit such as i have depicted the young corinthian owns his yacht and lives in it a great part of the summer he is the first to make his appearance after the rainy season has begun to subside and the last to be driven into winter quarters at oakland or antioch where the fleet is moored during four or five months of the year the corinthian paints his boat himself and is an adept at every art necessary to the completeness of yachting life he can cook sail his boat repair damages of almost every description he sketches a little, writes a little, and is, in fact, an amphibious bohemian the life of the regatta, whose enthusiasm goes far toward sustaining the healthful and amiable rivalry of the two yachting clubs. These clubs have charming clubhouses at Sausalito, where many a hop is given during the summer, and where, on one occasion, H.M.S. Pinafore was sung with great effect on the deck of the Vera, anchored a few rods from the dock the dock was for the time being transformed into a dress circle sir joseph porter k c b made his entree in a steam launch and all the effects were highly realistic the only hitch in the otherwise immensely successful representation was the impossibility of securing a moon for the second act the annual excursion of the two clubs is one of the social events of the year The favorite resort is Napa, a pretty little town in the lap of a lovely valley, approached by a narrow stream that winds through meadowlands and scattered groves of oak. The yachts are nearly all of them there, from 26 to 30, a flock of white wings that skim the waters of San Pablo Bay, upward bound. At Vallejo and Mare Island they exchange salutes, abreast of the naval station and enter the mouth of Napa Creek. It is broad and marshy for a time, but soon grows narrow and very crooked. More than once, as we sailed, we missed stays and drifted broadside upon a hayfield and were obliged to pole one another around the sharp turns in the creek. It is then that cheers and jeers come over the meadows to us from the lesser craft that are sailing abreast deep among the waving corn all this time napa our destination is close at hand but not likely to be reached for twenty or thirty minutes to come we turn and turn again and are lost to sight among the trees or behind a barn and are continually greeted by the citizens who have come overland to give us welcome riotous days follow a ball that night excursions on the morrow and on the second night a concert perhaps two or three of them on board the larger vessels of the fleet we are lying in a row against a long curve of the shore chains of lanterns are hung from mast to mast the rigging is gay with evergreens and bunting the revelry continues throughout the night serenaders drift up and down the stream at intervals until daybreak when a procession is formed a steamer takes us in tow and we are dragged silently down the tide in the grey light of the morning at vallejo after a toilette and a breakfast which is immensely relished we get into position every eye is on the commodore's signal by and by it falls bang goes a gun and in a moment all is commotion The sails are trimmed, the light canvas set, and away flies the fleet on the home stretch to dance for an hour or two in the sparkling sunshine of San Pablo Bay, then plunge into the tumbling sea in the lower harbor, and at last end a three days' cruise with unanimous and hearty congratulations a week ago i could have added here that in the annals of the yacht clubs of san francisco there has never been a fatal accident never a drowning nor a capsizing nor a wreck and this covers a period of thirteen years alas in a single day on a cruise such as i have been writing of there was a shocking death one yacht nearly foundered but fortunately escaped into smooth water another was dashed upon the rocks and is probably a total wreck while a third lost her centerboard over a mud-bank where it buried itself and held the little craft a helpless prisoner the crew and guests of the latter took to the small boats pulled three miles in a squall and were rescued by a passing steamer when they were all drenched to the skin and well-nigh exhausted you see that inland yachting is not child's play nor are these inland yachts without their romantic records the flag of the san francisco yacht club has floated among the south sea islands one of its boats has beaten the german and english types in their own waters one has been as far as the australian seas one is a pearl fisher in the gulf of california and another is coquetting with the doldrums along the mexican coast They are staunch little beauties all, and it would be neither courteous nor healthful to think otherwise in the presence of inland yachtsmen. End of chapter 7